Welcome to the Other Side Podcast with Jazz and Steph. I'm Jazz. I'm Steph. Now, the purpose of this podcast is to honor truth. We hope to create a space to learn from one another, from our experiences, and from the folks we talk to. We know that we have the ability to have really powerful conversations that are life-changing and paradigm-shifting and enhancing. And we want to use this podcast as a platform to share that. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Hey, y'all. Today we have with us healer, coach, and speaker, Zami Tanache Hemingway. Say hi, Zami. Hey, everyone. (laughs) So you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Zami Tanache Hemingway. I identify as a healer. I identify as a wellness coach and a spiritual coach. Um, And as a longtime student, I have a master's in social work, a master's of arts in social transformation, and a passion for gender justice and equity. And I just love helping people on their journey of healing and wellness and living their best life. Mm. I also want to add that you are American Council of Exercise certified, right? Yes, I'm a certified personal <laughs> trainer. Um, I'm a certified nutritionist. And I specialize in functional training as well as strength and conditioning. Um, and have a background working with folks with disordered eating patterns, folks who are prepping their bodies for gender-related surgeries. Um, so I am transgender and I work with lots of transgender and non-binary folks and queer women particularly. Thank you. And so I remember when I first met you and I'm like, oh, this is an awesome being. (laughs) And then I also remember particularly when you helped me in a difficult jam I was having with love. I think it was pretty, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. And so it was noticeable that I was off. And he took me, I know how he particular he was about his personal space (laughs) and he took me into his personal space and helped me and guide me, guided me and definitely reached, I would say into me with respect to spirituality. Hmm. And so I remember that and I'm like, oh, this is a cool person. And so now that we're doing this, I'm like, I got to get this person and see if they can be on the podcast. (laughs) So I'm very excited to have you. Your resume is super impressive, but also all the wonderful things I've heard about (laughs) you from Jasmine. I know you must be a special person. So thank you. you. So um, how did you get into your unique approach of coaching and wellness? So I feel that it's been a lifelong journey. Uh, I have a history of disordered eating. Uh, I began engaging in bulimic disorder eating or bulimic pattern of eating when I was 10. Um, my biological father, <laughs> um, I remember he said a statement to me of like, don't get fat like your mother uh, when I was 10 years old. And from that moment on until the about the time I was 21, 22, I engaged in some form of disordered eating. Um, my sister also had a history of disordered eating as well. And, you know, just throughout really the first half of my life, because I will be 34 next month. <laughs> so the first half of my life, I really just had this inner turmoil between my body, my 
gender identity, my sexual orientation. I grew up in a Pentecostal household. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a part of the Church of God in Christ and was on my path to become a minister, uh, but you can't really be queer and a minister in the Church of God in Christ or in the Pentecostal church. Mm-hmm. Um, and you absolutely can't be transgender <laughs> and and be a person of in position of power or faith or leading a church in that denomination. Um, and so for the first half of my life, I just was constantly searching for a way to heal my body, a way to heal my spirit, a way to really engage and embrace myself and love myself and learn to love myself. Um, And for me, spirituality was very, very important for that. And, you know, I didn't really know how to be who I was or relate to myself without some sort of spiritual path. even how to relate to myself as a Black person. It was very difficult because growing up, to me, I never met a Black person who was not spiritual or religious. Um, and so I felt that that was like a, if you were Black, then you were a part of some form of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and so me lacking faith, me feeling that, or living with messages that who I am as a trans person or as a queer person Um, was not in alignment with God or the divine really caused me to not learn how to value myself. Um, And because of that, I engaged in, you know, different forms of, I wouldn't say that I ever abused substances, but there was moments where I drank heavily, um, moments where I experimented with drugs. Again, I did not have a great relationship with food. So moments where I did not nourish and care for my body, um, and moments where I allowed myself to engage in relationships, romantic or friendships with people who did not honor me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after about 10, 12 years, maybe more, actually more of doing that, um, I'm not sure what really shifted. Well, actually that's not true. What shifted for me was I met a friend um, when I was 24. we worked together and we went and had coffee. And for some reason, the first day that we went and had coffee and had lunch, I just told him my entire life story. Mm. Um, and he told me his, and he's also transgender. And he was like, come and work out with me. You know, and he identifies as a fat trans man. He's mixed race, white passing. Um, but he was like, just come and work out with me. Like you're transitioning, you're thinking about having surgery, you know, why not do this thing? And at that point I was, I weighed about 220 pounds um, and was not very healthy. I was not used to weighing that amount. um, And I really just did not like who I was. Mm -hmm. And I was in a very abusive relationship at the time with someone who was 18 years my senior, um, who I met in college. She was actually my college professor. And so just thinking about um those power dynamics and um how it doesn't really matter how what age you are you can still end up in situations where folks who are in positions of power or mentorship end up grooming you and can engage in predatory behavior right Mm -hmm. Um, because i met her when i was 18 in her class and then we end up dating when i was 21 Mm -hmm. Um, and still in her her class. 
But uh, Joe introduced me to weightlifting, and I started working out twice a day, and not because I was trying to lose weight, but really because it got me out the house and away from my abusive partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and that taught me boundaries. That taught me consistency. It taught me how to create a ritual that honored myself and really just carved out time for my day. And I would get up at four in the morning to get dressed to go to a spin class that started at 5.15. And she hated that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And in fact, would try to keep me up all night the night before to try to prevent me from going to care for myself and so would try to argue with me till three four in the morning and at four in the morning I would still say well I'm gonna get ready to go to spin class Um, and so that experience is what really started to create my approach around health and wellness um, because it was never about I want to lose weight it was like, I want to care for myself and mm-hmm. I need to learn how to do that because when I thought about having transition related surgery, I wanted, I was like, if I'm going to pay all this money to shift my body to reflect how I feel on the inside, I'm going to give myself the best body I can imagine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so for me, the body that I was living in was not that um, because I didn't have very much strength, didn't have very much endurance. Um, didn't have very much confidence. I just really couldn't do a lot of functional things. Um, Like I had never been able, or I had never lived a life where like running a lap would wind me um, or walking up the stairs would wind me. And that's where I was at that point. Mm. And it was important for me not to transition into a masculine body or into my masculine life, not feeling whole um, and well. And so that's what started my approach where I was like, what, what is this? You know, every morning, the first thing I did was I got up and I did something for myself. Um, And it became a spiritual practice almost. That would be where I was be meditating when I'd be on a spin in the spin class or on the bicycle, Um, learning to connect my breath with my weightlifting, you know, really taught me how to be in my body. Like Mm -hmm. if you are lifting weights or exercising in order to get the outcome that you desire, you have to be connected to your breath. You have to be connected to that muscle, have that mind-muscle connection. And so it became almost a yogic practice, which people don't think of powerlifting or weightlifting as something that's yogic or um, mindful, but it really is Mm -hmm. when you take the time and you break it down. Uh, And so that's, that's what that's how it started um and then over the years joe introduced me to different forms of spirituality um like tarot reading even though i've never gotten a tarot reading but he would do tarot cards and actually that's not true he has done tarot readings for me before but introduced me to prayer cards and pendulum divination um and one day just kind of channeled my ancestors for me. And he was like, your ancestors are telling you that you need to connect with them. Um, And I had no clue how to do that. I used to meditate. I would sit and feel like there was a presence there. 
Um, sometimes I felt like I saw people that weren't there. Yeah. Um, and it would just freak me out. And because I had that Christian background, I thought, oh, is this like of the devil? <laughs> uh, right. But fast forward to, I want to say like two years ago now, um, I started practicing Ifa, which is an African traditional religion. And I'm on my way to priesthood now. Mm-hmm. And um, the more that I became in tune with my ancestors and my spiritual practice, the more that connected to my physical wellness and the more that that connected to my emotional wellness and well-being. Mm-hmm. And as a coach, particularly a wellness coach and a spiritual coach, you know, a lot of people come to me and they're like, I want to lose weight and build muscle and have a six pack. And oftentimes I'm like, I'm not the person to come to if you want a six pack. Mm -hmm. Um, And people are like, what? It's like, I'm just not. Like, I'm the person you come to if you want to create a life of health and wellness Mm -hmm. and develop a positive relationship with your body, regardless of what it looks like. And if throughout that process, your body shifts, awesome. Mm -hmm. And throughout that process, if it doesn't, but your mind shifts about how your body is, and if your heart shifts about how your body is and your body's able to do and perform the, th- the things that you ask of it and you feel well and whole and grounded, that's, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think a lot of people see me and they think that they're going to get massive muscle and all this other stuff. And I do have several clients who do achieve that, um, but I come from a heart, spirit, body framework in that order where every time I check in with one of my clients, the first thing I ask them is, how is your heart today? Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel that we have to ground our wellness in our hearts and being heart-centered, mm-hmm. and then we go from there. Mm-hmm. I really love that. Super mindful. <laughs> <laughs> there was something on your website. I'm going to read it because I don't want to misquote it, but it was so um, so much of the stuff that you've done has really touched me. But when I read this, I don't know if this is your mission statement or, but it says achieving a life of health and wellness is a lifelong journey that requires you to practice radical honesty, revolutionary forms of self-love and have a commitment to your own healing. That is so powerful. The part that really got me was radical honesty. And I have not seen, I don't think a health and wellness um, expert that I've followed or, um, you know, even gathered like inspiration from use that and so I was so curious when I read that why is that part of what you do why do you think that radical honesty is is the path to achieving health and wellness that's a great question um so I actually actually started talking about radical honesty I want to say close to four years ago now um when I did a keynote at the Body Love Conference in Tucson. And, you know, radical honesty is, you know, a lot of people think radical honesty or they even think radical. And I think people think radical and then they think abrasive or aggressive, something very tough. Um, When to me, I feel that the practice of radicalism is really practicing vulnerability and transparency um, and being willing to do that deeper work that we don't want to do. And so radical honesty is I have to sit with myself and really ask myself, why am I not well? Um, 
what what behaviors, what narratives and patterns have I committed to that prevents me from living my best life and thriving. Mm -hmm. And that's the first thing we have to do because a lot of times we're like, well, society says this, you know, Mm -hmm. societal norms around bodies, societal norms around beauty, society. And that's true. But when I say like, who gave you your message around wellness and you tell me society, that's BS. Because that's not actually where we got our messages around wellness. You know, society overall might continue to influence it and continue to repeat those messages, but that's not where we got our messages around wellness or our body. If we really pause and we break it down, it's like, hmm, I got my messages around my body from my father. It's not unacceptable for me as, at the time, a young girl to be fat. Um. I got my messages around my body from my mother, who is a fat woman and who continuously puts herself down, puts herself down at moments around being heavier. Um, And so growing up with that, where it's like, okay, my mother, who I love unconditionally, does not love herself because she's fat. At least those are the messages she's giving me. Therefore, if I am fat, I cannot love myself. And to, I even, I feel a little choked up to say that because I think about my mother and I think she's one of the most beautiful people I've ever met. Mm -hmm. She's the most beautiful woman in my life. Mm -hmm. And to think that she does not love herself because of a message that someone who she was in a relationship with gave her, a message that her, her, her mother gave her, my grandmother gave her, you know, that's difficult to admit and be honest about. And so, and to also say that I got a very painful message about my body and about who I am from a woman who I love. Yeah. And so when we talk about radical honesty, you have to be willing to sit and really say, where did I get these messages from? And that might mean you got it from somebody who you love unconditionally and to, and you feel that they love you unconditionally. And at some point they hurt you as a child or as a young person or as a, adult or young adult and gave you a message that is very very harmful Mm. and so to be able to admit that then it's like oh I now have to examine my relationship with my mother you know and set different boundaries with her and you know reflect to her that these forms of ways in which you talk about yourself this is how it impacts me yeah Uh, and so that to me, that's what radical honesty is about. It's really about pausing and looking at why why do I believe these things? And what harm did it do? What harm have I done in believing these things? And how do we undo that harm? And it starts with us. And it starts with shifting that narrative. And that's why it's not just about our physical self, but it's really about like how are we thinking about these things and what's our approach? Because whenever someone's like, uh, I I have a hard time going to work out and this and that. I was like, because you're looking at it as a job. Hmm. <laughs> you know, if you don't like your job, you know, or you're not fulfilled doing it, you have a hard time going. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're looking at physical wellness as a job as opposed to as a ritual or as something that brings joy and fulfillment to your life. Mm-hmm. Like it's to me, I'm like, every single day that I'm able to care for my body, that's a blessing because there are some folks who can't. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so as long as I wake up and I have this form of able-bodiedness, I'm going to care for it in the best ways that I know how. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean always going to the gym. Maybe that means going on a walk. Maybe that means doing yoga. Mm -hmm. But that does mean engaging in some sort of physical practice that reminds my body that we are still here. We are alive. We're contributing to society in the ways that we know how um, and the ways that we are able to, depending on our able-bodiedness. And that's okay. Hmm. So do your um, did your ideas of uh, radical honesty and maybe even radical acceptance affect how you use the language because I'm going to revisit the term you said disordered eating versus eating disorder which many people use mm -hmm. why was there that shift in language you know um when to me maybe it's because I'm trans or black or <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, but because of a lot of the different communities and identities that I hold, um, we've been really pathologized. Um, and dis eating disorders is a diagnosis. Um, and it, it's like this label that you have this thing mm -hmm. and we have to fix you mm -hmm. and you have a problem. And to me, I'm like, when we say disordered eating, it's about a behavior and mm -hmm. not you, the person. Mm -hmm. And it's not placing a label on you. And so that's part of the reason why I use that. The other pieces is about it. It's really about this behavior. And every person has some form of disordered eating. Mm -hmm. So like the folks who, like I think about the colonial holiday, also known as Thanksgiving, um, that is the number one disordered eating day. Mm -hmm. Like everyone is like, I am going to eat until I am in pain. Mm -hmm. um, and that's completely acceptable in society. That mm -hmm. form of disordered eating on that day is completely acceptable in, in society. Um, but folks who have an eating disorder, something is wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, It's unacceptable. And I don't feel that in order, I feel that in order for us to help people heal you know, because I don't feel like I heal people. I feel like I support people in their own healing process. Mm -hmm. In order for us to do that, we need to help them on it. Like, we need to, what's the word? We really need to stop labeling their behavior as them and start mm -hmm. saying, this was something you were taught. Mm -hmm. So how do we, how do we support you in learning new tools and new ways to engage with food and heal your relationship with food. Yeah. And it's like, you already knew where I was going. Cause that's a perfect transition into my <laughs> next question, which is basically based on the importance of identity and how our experience and connection to our identity and other people's connection to our identity impacts our overall health. Can you say it a different way? So I'm one, yeah, sorry. Well, I didn't even phrase it as a question. So what do you think the impact is from our connection to our identity? So my personal connection to my identity and then the people I surround myself or maybe the world and how they're connected to my identity. What do you think that impact is? On like our wellness in general? Yes, on health. Yeah. Um, because when I say health, I'm talking mental, I'm talking mm -hmm. body. Yeah, um, I feel that it, it all affects everything, right? Um, you know, a lot of the work that I do, particularly with my 
clients of color mm-hmm. um, is I talk about the way that colonialism and capitalism has a felt has affected our wellness before you expand let's explain (laughs) to the folks the concepts of colonialism and capitalism (laughs) um i i i I didn't think i was gonna have to do that (laughs) (laughs) sorry to put you no you're fine so capitalism is oh well google's a good friend we can be literal (laughs) it's like i feel uh so capitalism spot, is defined yeah. as an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners of well, for-profit rather than by the state. And then colonialism is the policy or practice of acquiring full or partial political control over another country, occupying it with settlers and exploiting it economically. Y'all know that happened. Okay, thank yeah. you. Because like capitalism, Whoa. money, money, money. It's driven by money. Right. Uh, I think it's because the mic was in front of me and I was like, <laughs> no, I know. Oh, yeah, I I'm the same way. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't know any words right now. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's more like I'm like, oh, there's so many people who I don't want to be dragged from. <laughs> Right. Incorrect uh, I know, definition right. of yeah. capitalism. Unfair question, Jess. <laughs> but yeah, so um so yeah, so I talk about colonialism and capitalism. And um, you know, so I talk about it in a few ways, but most recently, so with a lot of the folks of color who I work with, if you go on my website, my prices are you know, some people feel my prices are a little expensive. Um, which like it's true for folks who can afford it. It's not expensive for folks who can't, then they can't. Mm-hmm. Um, I What a lot of people don't know or don't notice is that I do have a little note saying that if finances is an issue, please connect with me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I good. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, um, my mission is to help the folks who are often not helped. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also need to value my expertise <laughs> right. and the money that I put into my own education. And I need to be able to live and not survive, but really thrive. And right. so my prices are my prices as well. Um, but with a lot of my clients of color in particular, and I notice my queer clients who are trans masculine. Um, so often assigned female at birth, but are living their life as male or um, more or in a more masculine um, appearance. And then my cis female um, or my cis women clients, they are the ones that struggle a lot with valuing them, their work and their labor mm. um, monetarily. Mm-hmm. And so you know, a lot of the conversation, and for me, I feel that it's because, like, folks who are assigned female at birth and who are socialized as female at birth for a certain amount of time, um, we are taught that to undervalue our labor and that a lot of our labor is free. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so it's not surprising of me that it's most of my clients who are assigned female at birth who who have a difficulty around monetizing their labor um, in a way that actually... Um, honors their expertise in their labor Mm. and so you know my clients we have these conversations around how they're like I'm working 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 Um, I'm struggling financially 
And because of that, that creates more stress in my life. And I'm too tired to want to go to the gym or want to do yoga or go on my jog. Or I am too tired to want to cook. And because of that, I eat out and I end up eating stuff that I know has a negative effect on my body and how I feel emotionally. Um, some folks will engage in eating foods that they, that lead to them being sick, for example. And a lot, what I ask them is, why? And they're like, well, what do you mean why? Why aren't you raising your prices? You know, for my folks who are entrepreneurs, folks who are body workers, I'm like, why aren't you raising your prices? Why do you immediately offer the sliding scale to people? And they're like, well, because I want to be affordable and, you know, F capitalism. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, F capitalism. But having financial capital does not automatically equate to you being a capitalist. And, you know, what I say is if you look at a lot of the white anarchists who are like F capitalism, are they broke? No. (laughs) Are they like living with six, seven people in a one or two bedroom apartment? Mm -hmm. Not at all. Right. Most of them actually have quite a bit of financial capital, are living off of trust funds or living off of um, inheritance, are living, you know, are in tech, but say that they're anarchists. Buying all the land. Yeah, buying all the land. (laughs) Um, You know, a lot of these white anarchists, have the financial capital to be like screw capitalism mm-hmm. um and have in many ways commodify being poor but that's another conversation and so what i say to a lot of them i'm like i don't feel like i should be broke mm-hmm. um and i honestly feel like it's my birthright as a black person not to struggle financially mm-hmm. um which goes into like more of this idea of how capitalism and this well how the enslavement of africans in this country was never about racism but about capitalism yeah mm-hmm. and you know what i tell people particularly my black clients and other clients who come from indigenous backgrounds is i'm like think about what your ancestors went through for you to be here mm-hmm. and how disrespectful it is for us to struggle financially mm-hmm. and how that is key to our wellness also we have to value ourselves I need to value my body because my ancestors' bodies were literal money. They were literally capital. Mm-hmm. They were literally worked to death. Mm-hmm. And so for me to work myself to death, for me to work my body to death, for me to get up in the morning, the first thing I do is work for someone else and then not have enough energy or capacity to care for myself is a disrespect to my ancestors, Mm. which is why the very first thing I do in the morning is I sit in front of my altar, I honor my ancestors, I honor myself, and then I go and I do something that heals my body. Mm. Because through my physical healing, that is me healing my ancestral lineage. Every time that I experience joy and abundance and more wealth, I am able to give that to my ancestors. Whatever they have lacked and their, you know, because of their experiences and because of how they came to this country, they are now able to experience through me. And it is so important to me for my clients, particularly my clients of color to understand that because regardless of what ethnic background you are, we are all indigenous people and we have all suffered in some way. And many of the ways, particularly black, Latinx and first nation people or native American people in this country are pain, particularly physical pain, all are parallel Mm -hmm. and all interconnect. Um, You know, in Texas, 
there were there was a there's a long history of Mexican Americans being hung. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people don't think about that. So I was like, we need to heal our lineage. And a piece of that is knowing what our worth is, particularly when it comes to labor. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I talked to them about there is a difference between being a capitalist and having capital like having financial capital and how being able to value ourselves tells us we are worthy of being healthy and well. We are worthy of being successful. We are worthy and deserving of not just a life of survival strategies, but tech, but being able to thrive mm-hmm. and that you honor the survival tools and resources and tactics that you use when you needed them. And now you let them go so that you can learn how to thrive. Um, so I do a lot of that work with them. I talk about how like colonialism tells us that our traditional diets are also unhealthy, which is not true. You know, when people talk about, you know, the traditional black diet, the first thing that comes out of people's mouths are fried chicken. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm just like, that's funny. Like, I'm fairly sure that enslaved Africans did not have access to flour and like hot oil to fry their chicken. Mm -hmm. Like that is not a traditional black diet. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of our diet is actually very plant-based. And then if we had access to animal protein, we ate animal protein. But most of our diets are plant-based. If you actually look at a, you know, depending on what part, um, you know, whether or not the black families from the South, black families like from the Caribbean, you know, if they have direct different African ancestry, like depending on where in the diaspora that black family is from, if you look at their table, is usually highly plant-based and then there's one protein, mm-hmm. um, one animal protein. And so when people say, you know, my traditional diet is unhealthy, I'm like, really? Tell me about your traditional diet. Mm-hmm. Like, and I teach us like, we have to decolonize the way that we think about food, eat our food and engage with food. Mm-hmm. And if we go back to our traditional diets and our, and our ancestral diets and we decolonize our palates, we actually become healthier mm-hmm. and we experience less sickness we experience less flu we reduce inflammation in our body you know a lot of the extra weight that people carry is due to inflammation and bloated um, it's not actually a lot of body fat um, there might be some body fat there but most of us if you experience pain in your body that is inflammation and so examine what you're eating and maybe decolonizing your food and start and going back to your traditional diets will help heal your body so do you also a word know yourself know your worth um (laughs) do you ever cover concepts like mm, cross intersectionality so like the importance of having all these different identities and them overlapping and fighting inside of you while you're on this journey to wellness and Mm -hmm. and health yeah um you know i don't there's not a way to have a wellness journey without examining all aspects of your identity. Um, Because, you know, so for me, I think about the messages I got around my body. And, you know, so I'll be 34 in February. And I didn't start looking or being perceived as male until I was about 26, 27. So that means 26, 27 years of my life, people still engage with me as a Black woman. Mm-hmm. And so the messages around my body, even to this day, are 
a lot of it's found is the foundation of it has been around like black women you know like what how am I as a black woman supposed to like care for my body even though that's not you know if you look at me (laughs) that's not what you would think right um and so as a trans person who doesn't really identify as male but everyone perceives me as male and that's generally how I live my life just navigating society um you know I have to think about what messages I get as a black woman what messages do society give me about my body currently as a you know someone who is perceived as a cis male most times Mm -hmm. um who is black who is athletic and muscularly built and who lives in a society that is very aggressive towards the black male body very aggressive towards the black body in general but Mm -hmm. particularly you know right now my lens is through the black male body Mm -hmm. um and how just how people respond to my body and how there are moments where for me, I'm like, oh, I feel like maybe I need to be smaller so that people don't engage with me so aggressively, mm-hmm. you know, and thinking about how how much aggression I receive, how that affects my mental health mm-hmm. and how, you know, when my mental health is not in balance, how that affects my spiritual well-being. Um, and, you know, as someone who holds a lot of space for people, someone who works in the community, um, I need to also be like, okay, as a healer um, and as a spiritual leader and as someone who works in HIV and AIDS and diversity and inclusion, like those are parts of my identity too. And if I'm off balance spiritually, if I'm off balance with my, you know, not in alignment with how I want my body to look or I want to feel smaller or be bigger or whatever, like all of that affects that journey. Mm -hmm. Um, and And subsequently the journey of others. Right, right. You know, and then just thinking about how racism, classism, sexism, you know, homophobia, transphobia, how like all of that comes together because that all tells us like that all either opens or closes doors for us, you know, and a lot of people are like, just get up and do it. Like, yeah. pull yourself up by your bootstraps. bootstraps. There's lots of folks in the wellness industry who are like, you just need to change how you're eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just like, that's not so easy when you're just trying to walk out of your house and not experience something messed up. Yeah. You know, and and that's a big part of the struggle. And that's part of the reason why I don't just say I'm a trainer, but I say I'm a wellness coach. Cause I'm like, I need to understand, I ask people what their stressors are. Mm-hmm. You know, what are your life stressors? How can we, you know, work on addressing those stressors? Like somebody was like, I have so much to do and I just like, I'm moving and I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So we spent our entire session prioritizing their list. Mm-hmm. And after we prioritized their list, they got everything done. And then they're like, oh, my God, zombie, I was able to do all my workouts because I just made a list <laughs> and prioritized it yeah. and made space for myself. And I'm like, yep, that's wellness, right? Yeah. I don't think that's an approach that a lot of, um, I think especially to like in this Instagram influencer world, right, <laughs> that we live in. It's, it's just like a snippet of um, this is how to be healthy, or it's always this one specific body that is healthy. Mm-hmm. And I really like what I read and what I watched on yours because it is, you cannot, 
you're not going to go to the gym if you can't like get your basic needs met. Right. I mean, if you're worried about food or shelter, you're um, depressed or whatever it is. Yeah. Those simple things of just eat better, just exercise. Mm -hmm. That's unrealistic. But I also like that you've mentioned um, health is not a size. Mm -hmm. And I like that you're focused on that because I think thin equals healthy and that's not in people's minds and that's just not that's not accurate and if that's your goal if I'm looking at this one body and that is when I'm going to be healthy is when I look like that Mm -hmm. I think that contributes to a lot of mental distress for all of us and just so it's so interesting to me um and I I know it's because um of Eurocentric like beauty standards um but when you look at the folks who are on Instagram and different forms of social media who have millions of followers, there are all those folks who are like, count your macros, count your mm-hmm. calories, um, six pack, trying to do look like bodybuilders. If you ask a bodybuilder um, whether or not when they are in competition form, if they feel healthy, they hands down will say no. Right. They would say that's actually the most unhealthy I am yeah. because my my mind is foggy. I'm irritable. I'm not eating very much. Um, it's extreme. Yeah, have no energy. And they're like, you know, we just do this for the competition, and then they slowly refeed themselves mm-hmm. because they put their bodies under so much stress. Um, and so many people strive to look like that i'm like that's actually not healthy right it's Um, unrealistic right it's unrealistic it's not healthy and most of the folks who maintain that look year-round are on some sort of performance enhancing drug Mm -hmm. and that's the other piece um a lot of folks are like oh if i just eat right exercise i'll look this way it's like maybe depending on how your genetics your genetics (laughs) um your ability like depending on a whole bunch of stuff you might be able to look like that. And like, I think of some of the top like 10 bodybuilders out there, mm-hmm. they are all on some sort of performance hand syndrome. their bodies are broken right. when they're done. Uh-huh. Right. They like to bust veins. And I like to yeah. watch documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> right. And they end up with a lot of the same quote unquote diseases and illnesses that mm-hmm. are supposed to be related to being overweight. Yeah. Mm. And so I was like, so if these folks who look the part and are supposed to be so healthy, why are they having strokes? Why are they having heart attacks? Terrible stress why, in the body. Exactly. Right. You know, why do they have hypertension or high blood pressure? All yeah. these things are supposed to be for folks who are overweight. These folks who have 6% body fat mm-hmm. have the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so body, like being healthy, it has really nothing to do with your size. Yeah. Um, it has everything to do with how you engage with your body, your level of activity, your mental and emotional well-being, you know, what you eat. Um, and there are folks, like I, like I said, the person who got me into lifting is a fat trans guy. And he taught me so much about proper form, about lifting, about eating for, for um, the type of body that I was, I was desiring at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I took that foundation that knowledge and then ran with it and got more education but if someone looked at him they would say he's not healthy right and he taught and he's a huge part of the reason why i'm here today Mm -hmm. um sorry one other i'm so interested in disordered eating and that topic um just from experience with it myself and trying to overcome that but i want to know kind of what your thoughts are and how we can do better too, like with each other, um, the messages that we're sending out, because as I think back 
on my life and my journey, I definitely got those messages from my mom who would stand in front of a mirror super thin and beautiful in my eyes and hear her call herself like so fat and disgusting. And then looking at myself and thinking like, well, if that's disgusting, like what, what am I? So I need to strive to be better and thinner. And then even just knowing that throughout life, the thinner I was, like the more I was celebrated, even if that's because I was at my lowest and not eating and starving myself, but yeah. constantly hearing like, at least you look good. Yeah. Um, and I think we have a responsibility to, especially to young people, to people who are watching what we do to send a different message. Yeah. And how do you feel like we could, we can do that as in this world of where everything we share is going out to hundreds or thousands of people? Um, right. constantly what do you think our responsibility is or how can we we change that message so I think a few things I'm gonna try to just put on my three though um, I feel one thing is we have to model the behavior and mm -hmm. so particularly particularly with young people which I, I have a long background working with young folks um, but particularly with young people young people watch every single thing that we and so, you know, which y'all are both parents. <laughs> yeah. um, they watch every single thing that we do. And um, I think about, there was a small time in my life where I was actually caring for one of my nephews. And he watched everything I did. And I would be working out. And he would be like, I want to work out with you, Uncle Zami. And I was like, okay, cool. So I gave him a little you know, five pound weight and mm -hmm. he tried to copy the things that I did and talk to him about form. And then afterwards we would eat. And, mm -hmm. um, and I realized because he was watching me so much, I was actually a little more mindful mm -hmm. um, about things I said, things I ate, the importance of eating your vegetables, um, of eating slowly. And, you know, when you're full, then we just stop eating. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so that's the first thing we have to practice the behavior um, and we also have to believe in what we're practicing. So some people are like, I'm just going to do this because you're watching me. And then like, you know, um, right. and that but, comes across if it's not authentic. Exactly. So we have to believe it and we have to practice it. I feel the other thing is really listen to what people are saying, particularly young folks. Um, when, when I hear someone say something negative about themselves, I try very hard not to be like, that's not true. Um, Typically what I say, especially if it's with my clients, or actually I do this with very pe people who are very close in my life, um, but I say, tell me more about that, you know, or um, I want to understand more why you feel that way. And, curious. Mm -hmm. and so asking that question that allows them to sit and be like, why do I feel that way? Well, all these other people look like this, or I saw this thing, or I read this thing. Okay, let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, and so helping them be able to reflect and us not be so quick to try to change their mind about it, but just allow them to have their journey. And then I really feel that we need, we as a society in general need to stop harping on what people look like. We do so much policing of each other that it's ridiculous. Um, you know, I think social media has been a blessing and a curse in so many ways. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a blessing because people uh, all around this world can connect and support each other. And I think about 
folks who are LGBTQ who might be in rural areas and um, folks who might be like poor, poor living, don't necessarily have access to different resources, but they can get those resources via social media and online now. Like it's been such a blessing because people have been able to build community across the globe. And it's been such a curse because there are so many people who feel that because they have access to social media, they have a right to police other people's bodies, Mm -hmm. you know, complete strangers. And I just think about this thing that happened a few months ago. It was this um, young black girl who took a picture of herself for prom and put it on social media. And she was a girl of size. And some guy, and like a lot of people were like, she was like, oh, I'm feeling great. I'm feeling like beautiful. And her friends were like, oh, slay queen and all this other stuff, like just yeah. praising her. Right. And some guys saw it, took the, the photo reposted it somewhere else and was like why are y'all lying to her she's fat she's this she's that Mm -hmm. and like just start tearing her down and then thousands of people decide to come and do the same thing about a child right and i'm like can we please just stop policing ourselves Mm -hmm. because and to me i'm like that means can we please start healing ourselves because for him to see i believe she was 16 so for this grown person <laughs> to yeah. see a 16 year old and feel that he needed to pull her down. It was which, prime time to, mm-hmm. to hurt a child. Yeah, yeah, to hurt a child. He must have so much healing that he needs to do. Mm-hmm. Must be so many wounds living inside of him. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I pray that he heals himself. And I feel like the world needs to focus on their own healing. Mm-hmm. And that will really stop so much policing and checking of each other and start elevating, uplifting each other. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So tell us about your perceptions on, uh, because we did talk about Eurocentric standards. So like this, this, this stat, this status that you got to meet of European beauty. Um, and I, I want to revisit that. Tell us about um, your perceptions of the lack of representation, underrepresentation, and <clears throat> this, the discussion of trans identity and race and how that kind of... In the wellness industry? Or you mean like in life? In life, because <laughs> I think that's important and I think you have an important voice to share with, with yeah. regards to that. Um, I want to make sure I understand the question. So... What are some of my perspectives on the lack of lack representation? of representation, particularly trans people of color? Yeah, um, you know, I I feel that I feel that it kind of goes back to um, I. Um, I want to be really intentional how I say this. Um, so for me, I never thought I can transition. Mm-hmm. Um, I never, whenever I knew about trans identity and I would hear the word trans when I was younger, which, you know, when I was younger, there wasn't very much around trans identity. Um, but every time I looked it up, it was always a white trans woman. And so for the longest time, I didn't think people of color, let alone black people were trans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, it's a white trans thing. Um, and then it was, I wanna say my 
second or third year of, of undergrad that I met a black trans man and I was like what <laughs> um we exist <laughs> type situation um and that saved my life mm-hmm. um and then I started seeking out like other trans folks of color to just be like can we be friends really mm-hmm. <laughs> And so um, I say that because I feel that representation is so important and so powerful. And when you think about the trans folks of color who are in the media, many of them fit into Eurocentric standards mm-hmm. of beauty. Um, Love Janet Mock met her, a huge like crush on her, and she fits into Eurocentric mm-hmm. standards of beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that she acknowledges that and she speaks on it. And so I really appreciate that she does that mm-hmm. when other folks don't do that. Yeah. Um, I think of some of the other trans folks of color and um, who are trans men and they also fit into like this um, heterocentric like mm-hmm. lifestyle. So mm-hmm. I'm married, I have a baby now and you know, kind of just like if once you transition you need to fit into this binary in mm-hmm. lots of ways and then I think about like non-binary folks of color and how many of the folks who identify as non-binary who are uplifted um many of them look the same so mm-hmm. non-binary films who wear lots of makeup or dresses and all this other stuff where I I don't identify within the binary but the term non-binary doesn't feel good for me Mm -hmm. um doesn't feel like it really represents my gender either um but as a somebody who does not identify within the binary many people don't look at me and be and say that i'm non-binary in fact a lot of non-binary folks um and um femme folks and just like trans people in general they're like oh you're passing like you're Mm -hmm. you're a man you're very binary and i'm like who are you to tell me who i am (laughs) yeah um it's like i take testosterone I live I like work out and this is how I look but that doesn't mm-hmm. say anything about my identity mm-hmm. um and so I feel like this go- this goes back to a lot of policing as well mm-hmm. where you know there are certain folks who are acceptable to represent certain groups and so still by large when you think about trans representation in general you put trans identity in there you're going to see a whole bunch of white faces and then you'll see like maybe Laverne Cox, maybe Jenick Mock, mm-hmm. um, maybe Teek Milan, like, you know, like just some, some sprinkles of folks of color, um, you know, for non-binary folks, you'll see, um, I can't remember their actual name. Uh, well, no, Devin Nor- Norrell or something along those lines, but on um, Instagram, they're Steroid Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll mm-hmm. see them, you know, you'll see Alok who, um, I can't remember Alok's name, but they're um, of Indian descent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I apologize if that's not true. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, um, but you see, like, the same people over and over again, because those are the folks who have been deemed acceptable right. to represent these communities. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's that's really problematic um, because I, again, it's like, if you don't fit into these boxes and categories, then you can't take this identity. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, for someone like me, who, when I transitioned, I didn't have a choice but to say I was a man. Yeah. Um, there was no such thing as non-binary 
um, during the time that I was trying to transition Mm -hmm. because I, and for the longest time, I didn't even know if I wanted to necessarily take testosterone. You know, I didn't think about actually having top surgery until a doctor made a comment about my chest. And then I was Uh, like, oh, I guess I, you know, the doctor was like, are you going to get these things removed? And I was like, well, I guess I should now. Um, And so because like I was in this place of like, I don't identify as male or female. So I was trying to figure out what my transition was going to look like and what felt good for me and I was very much pushed into this male box Mm -hmm. and so it's really a blessing that young people and and folks who transition today don't have to do that yeah like folks who have top surgery if they want to they can have lower surgery if they want to they could go on hormones not go on hormones there's so many options that you know those of us who are who transition you know I I began my transition 10 years ago we didn't have um and so like just the lack of representation as particularly for trans folks non-binary folks is it can be it's a form to me it's a form of violence yeah um and it can really do a lot of damage because if you just keep upholding the certain standard that others don't fit into you know like what do we have right um and that's a big reason why you know, if you look on my Instagram, you're not going to see a whole bunch of pictures of me without my shirt on and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was younger, you know, after I had my top surgery, yeah, you saw, like, <laughs> I was, yeah, yeah, I was, like <laughs> constantly, like, oh, I'm going to, like, have a picture of my shirt off right, <laughs> um, right. because I had never experienced that before. Yeah. Um, but then over, like, as time went on, I was just like, I don't really need to do that. Yeah, like. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, I don't need to put up a bunch of videos that of me flexing and pictures of me flexing every now and then I'll do something like that. Um, and I realize that whenever I do do something like that, that's when I get like okay. 10 new flowers, yeah. followers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so like, I will post videos of me doing different lifts and workouts um, because I just feel like that's important. I like to do that. Mm-hmm. And I feel that I have really solid technique around certain things Mm -hmm. Um, but you know I always I notice that whenever I do something that fits into that standard of beauty then people follow me a little bit more Mm -hmm. Um, and part of the reason why because I'm almost to a thousand followers which is like wild to me Mm -hmm. Um, and at the same time also like no but I deserve that so it's okay (laughs) Um, but whenever that happens it's even more important to me to talk about the importance of not trying to fit into some box and not trying to subscribe to the narrative that if you look a certain way that equates to being healthy and well. Mm -hmm. And if you look a different way, then that means you're unwell. Hmm. Was there a black narrative that you found yourself fighting or something within your, within our community that you were like, Oh, this is really challenging for me as I'm, going through life and my journey you know I feel that um you know and I don't want to general I don't want to generalize right so I'm I'm not saying all black people feel this way or every black community um I feel that the black community that I grew up in um and the black folks who I grew up around have a lot of internalized fat phobia Mm -hmm. and so I know for me there are moments to this day 
that I still struggle with fat phobia, yeah. with internal fat phobia. Like I don't, I don't really struggle with it when it comes to other people, but my own internal fat phobia. Yeah, there are moments mm-hmm. where I'm like, ooh, like this shirt feels a little tighter, or mm-hmm. like these jeans feel a little tighter. Mm-hmm. I need to go on a diet. Then I'm like, ah, no, you don't. Chill out. Yeah, mm-hmm. relax. Like let's think about like you have different goals. Part mm-hmm. of your goals means you got to put on a little more weight so that you could do it safely just for this moment. And so what? Yeah. So like, I even have to talk myself out of it and like have these conversations with, with myself. Um, but there's lots of different forms of fat phobia mm-hmm. um, in the black community that I grew up in. Yeah. Um, that's external and internal where, you know, folks do engage in a lot of like fl- flat tummy teas, juice cleanses, mm-hmm. detoxes, all that stuff. And I'm just like, that is not good for your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I remember one person who's a who's an elder in my community is, you know, asked me if I want to partner with them in, essentially, it's a flat tummy tea. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I felt bad. I actually struggled with my response because, you know, this is an elder in my community. Yeah. Um, and I'm about to tell them no. <laughs> yeah. And so I struggled with that. But I was like, I don't feel that it's in alignment with my approach. Totally um, respectful. Yeah. 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 And, it, and it was mostly fine. Um, but I see things like that. And I'm like, I know folks are trying to heal the community and trying to give like health resources to the community. Uh-huh. And we're really harming our bodies and our mm-hmm. community when we're like, drink this tea for a week and don't eat anything and then like stay in the bathroom on that toilet like that that's not sustainable it's not good for our body uh puts our body in shock and so that's something that I know I've struggled with um and because you know these a lot of these folks are my elders they are like my aunties and you know my great aunt like you know like people you grew up with the church folks Mm -hmm. um folks some folks in my you know, my, in my Aoife tradition, like I see these things and I'm like, I want to respectfully let you know that you are not healing yourself through doing this. Mm-hmm. And I would like to work with you yeah. <laughs> to shift it. And I don't, and I honestly don't, um, I don't push myself on many folks. Um, actually, I don't, I don't solicit at all, really. Yeah. I'm like, most of my clients are through Instagram or word of mouth mm-hmm. um, or people just walk up to me, honestly. Um, yeah. And, you know, I offer a lot of free information and it's important to me to always, regardless of how successful I become, to give away knowledge and information and resources um, because I feel that the more wealth, the more access and the more resources um, that I have, I have a duty to reach even further to the margins and make mm-hmm. sure that they have that so that they're not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there'll always be some form of free and reduced pieces of my work. Um, but yeah, like that, that's a struggle for me because I feel that the older folks are, the more committed they've become to that narrative because yeah. that's a narrative that they've known mm-hmm. their life. And to let go of that means that they have to be radically honest with themselves that maybe they don't and know what they're doing generational trauma mm-hmm. and whatnot mm-hmm. um was it challenging to come here to arizona from another place and get settled and start your practice um no <laughs> was like, I this. Um, so um 
you know, so I lived in the, I, I'm originally from Southern California. I grew up all over. I was born in Inglewood, grew up all over the, in the empire and, um, um, Orange County and then moved to Tucson, Arizona, lived there for about 11 years. Um, and then moved to the Bay area and living in the Bay area was a blessing and a curse. Um, it was a blessing because I had to do lots of healing and uprooting mm. um, and really learn to value myself um, and not allow other people's wounds and triggers um, to become mine mm-hmm. um, and not accept abuse. Right. And, you know, that's something as a Black trans person black trans masculine person who is in community with lots of women when I think about the people who are around me are lots of cis women and lots of cis women who've experienced lots of harm at the hands of masculine people and men Mm -hmm. Um, and oftentimes I found that trans men we are seen or trans masculine people we're seen as the safe folks Mm -hmm. to enact abuse on Um, and so that, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's a lot of what I experienced in the Bay was as a trans masculine person, a lot of women of color who were queer, who experienced violence from cis men mostly, um, will take a lot of their anger out on me. I and... never noticed that. I'm thinking about <laughs> my friends who are trans men of mm-hmm. color. I've had that experience. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and for the longest time, I was like, I'm not, I, I had this guilt because I was like, oh, I have this like privilege now. And so it's my responsibility to take this abuse. And I was like, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not my responsibility to take that abuse. Um, and by you telling me that because now I have male privilege, which I'm like, we can, we can also talk about how male privilege works for black men in this country. Yeah. Um, but the, again, I feel like that's a different segment. But <laughs> um, but like for you to say like, because now I have male privilege, you have a right to kind of go off on me. Mm-hmm. One, that's completely erasing my 25, 26 years mm-hmm. as a black woman. Yeah. Um, and then coming into a whole yeah, new experience. Right, where I'm still adjusting to this body, this wow. way of life. Like I had 26 years of learning how to navigate the world in one body and how people respond to me then you know I'm again I'm 34 it hasn't even been a full 10 years that I've been living my life being perceived as male yeah so I'm I'm like still a baby in many ways trying to figure out like how to navigate this right um it's not justified and kind of like what you were saying about someone attacking someone they don't know it's about their healing or their yeah exactly yeah, and I feel like in the Bay, it's uh, it was very difficult because the Bay feels like they're very radical and mm. on the cutting edge of everything. <laughs> um, and one would argue otherwise, I would mm. argue otherwise. Um, but folks, a lot of folks need healing there. Mm. And um, so while I was there, it was very difficult to be amongst so many people who experienced so much abuse. Like the Bay is very violent. Mm. Uh, like very violent forms of gentrification, like mm-hmm. violence around police brutality, um, violence within the community, violence with trans folks. Like it's it's a very violent space and it needs so much healing. Um, and it just wasn't a place for me. 
Mm-hmm. And I understand that it's a place for lots of other folks. And when my partner and I decided to leave, we're like, we're giving people their homes back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for me, like I have a long history in the Bay. Like my my grandparents are buried in the Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, like my father grew up in Oakland. So I spent a lot of time in Oakland in the Bay as a child and, and teenager. Um, so I did feel like that was my home in many ways, but other folks did not feel like that. And I'm okay with that. Um, but because of that, you know, my experience there, it it was just really difficult to ever really settle and like really plant roots in the Bay, um, except for with my spiritual community. Um, so, and leaving the Bay and moving here, the only thing that was actually difficult for me was the fact that I couldn't go to my Ifa temple anymore. I couldn't spend time with my godfather weekly anymore, like my spiritual community that really held me and held space for me and kept me. Because um, I experienced lots of anti-Blackness and just lots of transphobia and lots of violence in the Bay. Mm, yeah. um, like I lost, I didn't, I physically lost that. Right. Um, and when I left the Bay, it was it was really for me and my partner to have to be able to heal. We were like, we can't be here. Um, it's just too much happening here. Um, and so I left a good paying job mm-hmm. <laughs> and she left a good paying job. We moved here. We had money saved up and we were very fortunate and blessed that we never struggled financially in the mm-hmm. Bay. Um, so we were able to uproot our life and move to Phoenix and not have any problem. Mm. Got an apartment without having jobs. Um, we stayed with, yeah, like we <laughs> stayed with um, my partner's mother for, I want to say maybe two weeks mm. before we moved into our apartment. So we could ju- we were able to just uproot and move, have a place to stay, got an apartment because of the amount of money we were able to save up. Um, and for a year, I just focused on being a personal trainer, being a wellness coach, like I worked part-time in a gym, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, did that for almost a year. It's got its own little world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it was really, different. it was very healing in many ways though yeah. too. Um, but worked at a gym part-time, worked on spiritual wellness almost full-time. And then also, um, you know, some friends and I started a nonprofit in the Bay that we recently dissolved, but also was doing a lot of that work. So for a year, I really just got to do healing work mm-hmm. um, and focus on my healing, support others in their healing. Um, and I never struggled financially throughout this year, mm-hmm. not once, and got more clients throughout this year, was able to focus on doing Wellness Wednesday videos. It My like spiritus wellness just kind of skyrocketed mm. once I was able to leave the Bay and come to a place that I was able to heal. Uh, Mind so, yeah. you, those wellness business, those, those wellness Wednesday videos are the jam. <laughs> I've been on social media for over a month, but the, one of the first things that popped up was that the videos I'm like, yes, <laughs> they really are fantastic. Yeah. A few questions about what you um, just said. So it sounds like, I, I feel like, Maybe I've not experienced it in the way that you have, but when you feel like you're finally doing what's in alignment for you and like spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and you're not pushing against like where you're supposed to be or what direction you're supposed to be moving in, Mm -hmm. life kind of lines up in the Mm -hmm. way that you need it to. Do you feel like that's was your experience when you came here to? Absolutely. Um, 
I feel that there were there were several opportunities in the Bay where I could have been doing more day-to-day work that was in alignment mm-hmm. with my spirit and what I really want to do. Um, and I, because of lack of confidence or lack of uh, just believing in myself and believing mm-hmm. in my self-worth, um, I, I skipped out on some opportunities. Um, and because... I believe that for me, I probably still have some form of guilt around the transitioning in some way. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, which can, is something probably entirely separate. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I experienced some of that, like I, I allowed myself to experience more abuse than what I mm-hmm. should have um, needed to. And, you know, like, I don't feel like yeah. anyone really needs or should experience abuse. Mm-hmm. Right? So um, I allowed myself to be in those positions. Um, and then when I was like, this is not okay. Uh, and I started really practicing radical honesty with myself. And it's like, why do you feel like you need these people in your life? Uh, and I was like, I don't. Um I need people who reflect me. I need people who and who also reflect where I want to be. Mm. Um, and whenever I would come back to Arizona to volunteer or just visit family and friends, I just felt so much peace. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I can breathe and um, just felt a level of relaxation that I was never able to do in the Bay because so many, it's just so, it's almost like a, pot of boiling water mm. um in the bay all the time intense um, yeah and and life there is very you know and this isn't to speak negatively about the bay it's mm-hmm. really just to speak to the fact that the bay needs a lot of healing yeah. and they and you know there is so much violence happening there and so many people who are trying to fight against the violence that they don't allow themselves to rest. Mm. Uh, and again, this goes back to the whole idea and it's mostly black and brown folks. So it goes back to the idea of like, we cannot work ourselves to death. We cannot repeat the things that happened to our ancestors right. and trying to break that cycle. Um, and I don't know if enough people in the Bay are bought into that, um, the idea that of truly breaking that cycle because um, they know to do the things that they've been taught and the things that have worked in the past. And sometimes... And that is a, it's habitual. So yeah, it's habitual. It's a practice. And it's scary to yeah. let go of survival strategies that saved your life. Right. Even if that's what's preventing you from thriving. Or even if that's what's now killing you. Yeah, yeah. even that's what's now killing you, right? Um, and so I just want to acknowledge that. Like, I'm not... It's not to speak ill of the Bay. It's just like, it is a particular experience there. And they need a particular amount of healing right. and sh- and mindset and just spiritual shifts. Um, and I don't feel like enough people are on board there. Hmm. Um, but to, I feel like I digress. Your question. What was your question? No, I think you answered it perfectly. <laughs> okay. Yeah, about moving in. Um, this brought you peace. This place felt peaceful. You could breathe mm-hmm. here. And you felt like you had people who were supporting you. It right. sounds like had a good community and I really did just focus on my spiritual practice. So in yeah. IFA we have this thing called the Ori, which is like our our higher self, our higher being. And they say when you are in alignment with your Ori, that's when you're able to raise your vibration and you're living your divine purpose. Mm-hmm. And so 
when I was able to get out of a place that I just always felt so heavy and clouded and like was constantly feeling spiritual and emotional attacks Mm -hmm. to come to a place where I was able to decompress and then recalibrate, I was able to get back in alignment with my worry. And I was able to work on my spiritual practice. I was able to go forth with different spiritual initiations. And I was able to look at myself and say, and start believing in in myself and believing in my message and believing in my ability. Um, And I was like, and the people who follow you and the people who believe in you, they are a testament to what what it is you should be doing. Hmm. Um, And so it's like, if they believe in you, it would be a disrespect to them to not begin to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. And when I had that mind shift and when I started thinking about everyone who invested in me, everyone who sacrificed their lives for me to be here, so thinking about my ancestors again, I'm just like, no, you have a duty to do this work no matter what. And the more successful you, you become, make sure you do not forget those folks who invested in you. Make sure you do not forget the folks who gave you who your first client, who mm-hmm. gave you your first referral, who shared your videos. Um, yeah. So always, every time that I build something and every time that I think about, okay, this is going to be another revenue of um, financial income or sustainability, I'm like, okay, how do I give this excess to these folks though? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's part of the reason why my business has been successful because it's never been about my own gain, mm-hmm. but how can I heal my community so my community can thrive? Yeah. Um, and I feel that when communal thriving and healing is at the heart of the matter, then you can't do anything but be successful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not to be redundant, but like the um, your approach to radical honesty opened you up to a form of like caring for self that allowed you to be balanced in your aspirations and what you want professionally and personally and basically how you approached your dreams mm-hmm. and, and what you love to do. And really just my life. Like yeah. I don't, um, I refuse to be miserable. <laughs> hey. um, I refuse to be miserable. Um, people who I love dearly, I'll take breaks from them if mm-hmm. I feel like they are spitting too much like heat and fire about mm-hmm. stuff or just living in a reactionary space. Um, like I, you know, I, one of the things I've, I've noticed about myself is that um, I don't like to say I'm an empath, even though like other people will call me an empath, um, but I very much am in tune with the spirits and energy around me. Mm-hmm. And we pick up so much people's spirits and energy and they like to jump on us. And like the more that you become aware and aligned, the more that your spiritual energy and your energetic body um, shines. And so these spirits are real attracted to you. And so um, for me, I'm like, yo, I got, I, (laughs) listen, I got to be out in this world. I work with folks who engage in substance use and sex work, who you know, engage in a bunch of different stuff, testing them and things like that, in and out of bars, bathhouses, you know, for my, like, day job. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of spirits that I'm, like, constantly, like, all right, let me clean myself off energetically and stuff like that. I'm not trying to get that from people in my personal life. Right, right. Uh, and so 
Like, I just refuse to be miserable, whether that's at work, whether that's at home, whether that's with my friends. And so, like, it's it's really just a life thing where I'm like, I I just don't want to live a miserable, unhappy life. No, and, thank you. Yeah. And so, really, my approach is, like, I love doing this work. When I don't love doing this work, I'm going to stop doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because I love doing this work, I'm effective. Yeah. Um, so that's that's really what it is. It's more of like a life shift mm-hmm. where I'm like, I refuse to be miserable. Like every day I say to myself, um, I grow more joyous and abundance and successful every day. Mm-hmm. That's something I, I repeat to myself. Every day I eat honey and I say to myself, you know, may the sweetness and the thickness of this honey drown out any bitterness or parasitic energy that tries to weigh me down. Mm-hmm. Um, I say that every single day and, you know, I just speak affirmations to myself before I even leave the house. I'm like, may my roads be open and like anyone who tries to put a block in the, in, in front of me, may they find the healing they need so that they, their roads are open too. Yeah. Um, and, and I go about my day and when people come at me in a negative way, I'm just like, I don't know what's going on with you, but I hope like whatever it is, you work it out because I believe in you and I don't believe this is what we need to have. And I, I had that, that uh, I said that to a coworker who was feeling, I guess, threatened by me or I'm not sure, but they, they felt some type of way. Cause I was just like, I'm not sure what they do. And so I was asking about what they do and they felt some kind of way about it. And I was just like, I'm just trying to understand. And so I'm not sure what's going on with you. Maybe you're off or something. Maybe it's something in your personal life. But like, I believe in you. I want you to be successful. You're a black person. Like we all black and brown people in this office. I really like whatever, it doesn't make sense for us to be like this. Um, And so I was like, you know, I just, I just hope whatever you need, you get. And like, you're able to shift your energy because in order for me to be successful, you have to be too. And I just leave it at that. Um, and not taking that on. Yeah, no, because it had nothing to do with me. <laughs> and so, you know, and some people get frustrated about that approach or that mindset, but I'm just like, I, I'm i not going to give myself so much credit that I feel that I'm ruining mm-hmm. somebody's day. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and I'm not going to give someone that power over me either. And I'm not perfect at that. Mm-hmm. Like, there are definitely moments where, like, I have that monkey mind where I'm just obsessing over something in my head. And when that happens, I'm like, breathe pause like do a quick reiki session on yourself Mm -hmm. um and then i ask myself what is really happening what part of you is being triggered right now yeah and i just do that work um and sometimes i could alleviate that immediately other times it'll take a week um but each day is a little less and less and it's constant there Mm -hmm. you never get to a point where yeah you you gotta do the work yeah Uh, to be consistent yeah do the work be consistent um one thing that you said that I started doing was um, I watched one of your videos that you said you have six principles. Mm-hmm. And so you, you write them down and you say those to yourself. Mm-hmm. And when I had to do that, it was such an intentional practice because I thought, okay, these principles, like, what do I stand by? Like, mm-hmm. what do I live for? What matters to me? And actually going through that exercise of writing down, I guess, just kind of like, rules to live by too or, mm-hmm. or what really matters and I've only been doing that for a few weeks and it has changed the way that I move through my days mm-hmm. and just going back to reminding myself 
nope, this is your higher self. This is who you want to be. Serve that. Mm -hmm. And it better serves the clients that I work with every day, my kids, like the people Mm -hmm. that I interact with. Um, This is a good reminder. This Mm -hmm. is who you want to be, even if you're not that in every moment. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, even the little amount that I've interacted with your work, like (laughs) it changed my life. So I hope people check out what you're doing. Classic zombie. I know. I know. You really are such a a blessing and your your presence and your energy is just so calming and yeah yeah, i feel like we're just meditating our way through this (laughs) entire podcast i'm just sunk into the corner like (laughs) listening to your melodic voice (laughs) so speaking of your work in speedy juice wellness Mm -hmm. um how do you want people to get a hold of you yeah um so folks can get a hold of me three ways you can either go to my website which is www.spiritusswellness.org. So spiritus spelled spirit, S-P-I-R-I-T-U-S, wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S.org. Um, you can contact me via my website on the contact me box, uh, and they'll send me an email. You can also send me a DM and follow me on Instagram, which is Zami, spelled Z-A-M as in mango, I, <laughs> underscore Spiritus Wellness, or you can find me on Facebook at Spiritus Wellness. Did you, before I, because I ask a fun question mm-hmm. every episode, did you have any more questions before I get to my fun question? No, just a comment that I will make sure that I put all of that in the podcast all links to all of your social media and your website and how people can get a hold of you but now I'm ready for the fun question I still just I want to really stress that it do not be afraid of the pricing Mm. right um Mm. if you are in need and you really um want to start a wellness journey and you're committed to your wellness journey we will figure something out Mm. so um I also only take five clients a year right now mm-hmm. that may shift I may open it to more <laughs> but I like to be really intentional mm-hmm. um and I work yeah. with folks anywhere from 90 days to about a year and so um I right now I already signed on three of them <laughs> okay. so quick. so I just want to put that out there um but there's other ways to work with me so I do I do just want to put that out there that um don't let pricing be the reason why mm-hmm. you don't invest in yourself because you're deserving and worthy of being well. So, thank you. So, oh no. What is <laughs> one of my favorite things about Zami is your very healthy obsession with Celine Dion. Sometimes I feel like I can't even say it, Celine Dion. Like it's a swear um. word if it comes out of my mouth because it's Zami Celine Dion. Oh my gosh, this is uh, My Heart Will Go On, right? She sings. That is her worst song, but yeah. Oh, so I just want you to take this platform to pontificate about the goddess herself, Celine Dion. So I I say that my relationship with Celine Dion is my longest relationship. (laughs) Um, I've been obsessed with her since I was like 10 years old. Ever since I heard the song "Because You Love Me," which is on her 1996 oh, album "Falling Into You," facts. Yeah, she <laughs> she sang it on op- on the Oprah show, and that's mm. when I heard it. Um, Bars. I was watching it with my mom, 
and my mom bought the CD back when people bought CDs. <laughs> um, and I stole the CD. Uh, and I kept it. <laughs> yeah. So I, and I still, still have it now. Yeah, oh, I still have it that. now. I think I have about mm, 10 Celine Dion CDs to this day. Um, I have all of her albums, French and English, and pretty much every remix to her song. This is so committed. And her Courage album is so dope. So, like, a lot of people have been talking about her Courage album that came out November 2019. Um, I already have tickets to her concert in March in Glendale, which will be last time I saw her. I was 23 years old, uh-huh. and so I'm 33 now. I'll be 34 in February. I saw her on my on my 24th birth or on my 23rd birthday. No, my 24th birthday. Saw her on my 24th birthday, February 20th. Um, Your birthday's February 20th. Mm-hmm. That's my daughter's birthday. Oh, awesome! She's lucky. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I saw her February 20th, um, 2010. That's when I turned 24, and I'll be seeing her. March, um, I want to say March 11th or something along so those lines. So happy 10 year anniversary. Yeah, so that's what I was saying. No, I was like, it's going to be 10 years. Uh, um, yeah, special. And so I'm excited. Like, I'm already, I already told my partner, I'm going to be crying. I'm going to sing every <laughs> Just song. Just prepare yourself. Like, um, I still remember seeing her. I saw her in San Jose on my birthday. And there was mm-hmm. this, like, younger, like, little, who I read as a little queer boy, uh-huh. um, singing all of her songs. I'm like, you are not going to outdo me. This is my <laughs> birthday. But um, her Courage album is amazing. Like, there's, like, some Sia influences in it, some Sam Smith influences Ooh, in wow. it. Um, there's, like, one song on there that, that I'm like, mm, that she could have probably lived without that song. Mm-hmm. But overall, it's a beautiful album and, like, mm-hmm. just kind of tells the story. And there's all these, like, so quote unquote Celine fans who are like not liking this album, they're like, it doesn't sound like Celine from the nineties. I'm like, no, because she's grown. <laughs> yeah, she's grown. Um, but if you really listen to this album, it has a lot of her earlier influences in it. Um, and so I'm like, no, like you hear falling into you, you hear let's talk about love in there a little bit. You hear mm-hmm. Celine, like so the album that came out like I think it was ninety two, I wanna say, um, which was like her her title album, Celine. I wanna say ninety two. Either ninety two or ninety four. But you hear some influences from that album in there. She's even doing that with her clothing line, right? Yeah, well so her clothing line is a gender neutral uh-huh. clothing line. Oh cool. Yeah. So she has a clothing line that's gender neutral. It's a kid's clothing line that's gender neutral. Um, but she is so amazing and she is a comedian at heart. Like she always talks about, she wasn't a singer. She would want to be a comedian. Mm -hmm. And so she usually has a comedian open her shows, which I don't know if you knew that. Um, and she's like one of the few celebrities where you have no dirt on her. She is like the kindest person. And one of the things that that's part of the reason why I like love her so much is I'm like, she is literally like, can we just love each other? And mm-hmm. there was this moment at one of her Las Vegas shows where this woman got on stage and it was clear that she was like very drunk. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. And like, she like, like ran to her and like grabbed her and like was like trying to like 
pump on her or something. I don't know mm-hmm. what this woman was doing. And the security guards, like, went to come and, like, rush the woman. And, like, Selene was like, it's okay. And she just talked to her. And she was like, oh. hey, what do you need? It's okay. Like a moment, yeah. Really. And she was like, everything's fine. Do you want a hug? Or, like, just start asking her questions and just showed her so much kindness. Yeah. And then, like, you know, she walked off the stage. Then, then she was like, it's okay. Like, you just need it. Some mm-hmm. people just need to be kind. You know, yeah. just need some love. Right. And then she continued her show. And I'm like, that is so beautiful to me where someone who ha- is like a diva, is a legend, is an icon, mm-hmm. still just practices humanity with anybody. Mm-hmm. And like, it shouldn't even be like this thing that's amazing. That should be the status quo. Yeah. But that is definitely not the status quo. Um, but she's just so kind and she's an amazing singer. And she doesn't try to be anything that she's not. Um, And I think about her losing her husband and how Mm. she was like, I have kids. And so I need to be here for my kids. Mm. And like, what am I supposed to do about it? But I'm going to keep going. And Courage really talks about her journey with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a lot of, she has said something like, you know, I have to get over it. And a, a lot of grief activists were really upset about that comment. And I'm just like, how we can't judge her grief like for her she's like I need to be strong and be courageous for my kids Mm -hmm. right now and I'm gonna process my grief some other way for everyone yeah right um but and like and that's what courage is courage is her processing her grief Mm -hmm. and like Celine Dion has always been a very private person and I love the fact that like she's private and she still gives so much to her fans Mm -hmm. like she she's joking and she's funny and she is so committed to her craft um gosh you just yeah. light up <laughs> i know i am so excited to right. listen to this album now i just love her i love really her so much i am yeah. uh, i have this hoodie that i cannot fit anymore but it's this white hoodie and it says cd on it and like and it has celine dion is like oh. red like <laughs> You know, Literally. if you made it a pillow, you could hug it, and it's like oh. you're hugging Celine. I don't want to get it dirty. I think yeah, I might get it framed, like, to be yeah. honest with you, because I got that's it from, um, I got it on my birthday. Yeah. And it's funny, because that's the one piece of clothing that my partner's not allowed to wear, <laughs> and she is not okay with that. <laughs> She's like, you should that's let me so wear funny. your Celine hoodie, and I'm like, I love you, babe. But I've no. had a ten year relationship with Celine. <laughs> We've been in a relationship for five years. I don't God <laughs> forbid anything happens, Celine will still be here. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just like, I, I just love her. She's mm. really great. Um and it's for a while I was just I feel like some people because I have the same passion for Whitney Houston. Mm. Like I'm still grieving Whitney's death. Um mm. and I just feel like because like I'm this like black muscular trans guy, folks are just like, you like Celine Dion? It's right. just like this shock, but I think people find it acceptable to be obsessed with Whitney mm-hmm. Houston because I'm black, but yeah, I just, I love Celine. Man, we love fantastic. you, Whitney, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Zombies take on Celine Dion. <laughs> yeah. So that was great. I could, I mean, do you have an unhealthy obsession with a celebrity? I don't no, really, I don't, I don't really have unhealthy. one. I, but like, no, definitely I not unhealthy. I freak out when I hear 
Michael McDonald songs. Like, I freak out. You had a moment yeah. this week. I did. Yep. Okay, so they play the best music in the bathroom at my new job. <laughs> you don't know me, but I'm your brother. <laughs> Came on in the bathroom, and I lost it. And I just, I yep. you. A whole dance montage in the bathroom. Uh-huh. So I'm texting my friend another day. Not you, but I'm um, pretty sure I texted you too. And I was like, oh, I was losing it to Michael McDonald. <laughs> as soon as I hit sin. Michael McDonald comes on again. I can't leave the bathroom. Of course not. And then Billy Joel comes on. I can't leave the bathroom. So you're spending all your time knowing your bathroom. No, Uh but when I do, no, I'm getting jiggy. But um, I think at at my old job, not anymore, my passwords were always Billy Joel songs. Because oh, I can um, remember them. Did you change all those like, now? No, no, they're gone. Uptown okay, Girl, 1983. Yeah, that's that's easy. No, I wish I want to make something up right now as far as like a celebrity obsession. Maybe I'm going to develop one just so I but can. But like a human obsession, probably you, but not like. I don't oh, really yeah. Have I a... probably have some. I mean, I don't feel like I'm obsessed with her like I no. used to be. I yeah. used to fantasize about moving oh. to Canada oh. and like trying to buy a house where oh, we could be friends. Oh. Like, I was like 13. I was like, I'm going to like live in so Quebec and like be BFS with Celine Dion. Right. And it's Merge. completely reasonable in your mind. Yeah. yeah. I had those <laughs> fantasies too, definitely about a few, a few years ago. There's this. Well, maybe I won't. <laughs> 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 this uh, author, self help kind of guru that I was <laughs> it was like doing something in the Netherlands and in my mind I'm constructing like I could definitely just pop up <laughs> like in the Netherlands right just to be there like oh how weird that I'm here and you're here and clearly it's meant to be and then we fall madly in love it yeah. didn't work out it's not that easy to just like show up yeah child care was a thing but yeah definitely maybe that's what I'll do for 2020 develop an obsession with someone other than you. Uh, yeah. I can share. Okay. <laughs> when Celine Dion hears this, I don't fantasize about being your neighbor anymore. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. <laughs> but if we became best friends, I wouldn't be upset. I'm going to have to tag her. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> well, thank Fun. you so much, Tommy. Yeah, I think what you do you. is amazing. I think the voice that you lent us today is amazing and will help many, many people. So, yeah. of course, folks, visit spirituswellness.org and all those fun places that Zombie told you to go to. And, of course, hit us up on the Instagrams at the Other Side Podcasters. Um, you can email us at uh, the Other Side Podcasters at gmail.com. I'm your girl, Jazz. This is Steph. And we have Zami. And bye. <laughs> bye.